Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about a uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. It woke me up from my sleep and I don't like it. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome to the show. This show is being recorded for December 15th, 2023. It's jingly time. Oh, so very jingly. First, the business. This show is not kid safe, not work safe. Uh, it's a, a dangerous hot virus. <laughs> it's Creative Commons licensed, non-commercial attribution, 4.0, unported. Theme music is by the late great band, the Gentle Readers, they're at gentlereaders.com. The bandwidth is provided via Cashfly under the kind umbrella of Backbeat Media. I do not speak for my day job. I don't intend to have another day job. I may have a day gig, but not another day job. Are we capiche on that one? All right, let us go forward. I tried to catch up on all Evil Genius Chronicles correspondence. I have mentioned before how I'm a shit corresponder. My goal in retirement is to be less shit. And so I have, uh, I believe I have responded to everything from the last few months. There may be like really old stuff I haven't got to, but uh, I'm trying to, it's not inbox zero um, across the board, but inbox zero for Evil Genius Chronicles uh, emails. Uh, and one of those emails was from longtime correspondent, like maybe back to the very beginning. Uh, Darren Griffith, and he sent me a song. Uh, he has sent me multiple songs over uh, over the course of this show, and uh, this one is no exception. I'm trying to think. It seems like a long time ago. Darren might have been the person who brought Scarborough Dude, like early podcaster uh, Scarborough Dude, um, into a conversation. And oh, <laughs> this is my recollection. This may not be correct. This may not be fair. But my under, my belief is that every and I've gotten audio comments and stuff like that from Scarborough dude, and I'm pretty sure that all of them were him yelling at me how stupid I was in a very thick Canadian accent. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm kind of in the market for Scarborough dude yelling at me again about how fucking dumb I am. I could I could handle that. <laughs> I'm not asking anyone to poke the bear. I'm just saying if he just on his own volition decided to do it, I could I I could take it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Darren sent me this song. By Slade Cleave. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what album because I don't even know what album it's from. Uh, he sent it to me, and off the top of my head, I thought Slade Cleave. That sounds kind of um, like a Canadian name. And then turns out uh, he's from Maine and lives in Austin, Texas. But this is a very Canadian song, and so I would expect nothing, uh, nothing different from Darren. Although it's got kind of a Canadian setting, it's set in Ontario, logging in Ontario. It kind of has its structure. Like it sounds kind of like a Joe Ely. It sounds kind of like a Towns Van Zandt type song to me. So uh, I quite enjoy it. So here you go Breakfast in Hell by Slade Cleave.
Melting snows of Ontario Were the wind will make you shiver Twas the month of May Up in Georgian Bay Near the mouth of the Musquash River Where the bears prowl And the coyotes howl And you can hear the osprey scream Back in 99 We were cutting pine And sending it down the stream Young Sandy Gray came to go home bay all the way from PEI Where the weather's rough and it makes it tough, no man's afraid to die Sandy came a-smiling, 30,000 islands was the place to claim his glory Now Sandy's gone but his name lives on, this is Sandy's story Listen close and you'll hear a ghost in this story that I tell Boys, this story that I tell Now Sandy Gray was boss of the men who'd toss the trees onto the shore They'd come and go till they built a flow a hundred thousand logs or more And he'd ride them down towards Severn Sound To cut them up in the mills for timber And the ships would haul spring, summer and fall Till the ice came in December One Sabbath day, Big Sandy Gray Came into camp with a peavy on his shoulder With a thunder crack, he dropped his axe And the room got a little bit colder Said, come on all you, we got work to do We gotta give her all we can give her There's a jam of logs at the little jog Near the mouth of the Musquash River With no time to pray on the Lord's day They were hoping for God's forgiveness But the jam was high in a troubled sky And they set out about their business They poked with their poles and ran with the rules And tried to stay on their feet Every trick they tried, one man cried This log jam's got us beat But Sandy Gray was not afraid And he let out a mighty yell I'll be damned, we'll break this jam Or it's breakfast in hell, boys Breakfast in hell Or frozen or drowned. They saw him fall, they heard him call. 
was once, then it was over Young Sandy Gray gave his life that day Near the mouth of the Musquash River But Sandy Gray was not afraid And he let out a mighty yell I'll be damned, we'll break this jammer It's breakfast in hell, boys Breakfast in hell There you go. A nice uplifting song about being killed by your chop. That's Slade Cleave from the album Broke Down with the track Breakfast in Hell. Kind of like in your John Henry was a steel driving man. It's a song about doing a hard job and then dying because of it. Oh boy. <laughs> I know I did easy jobs uh, and I survived it. So there you go. Uh, thank you guys who <laughs> die so that logs can get down the river. Yeesh. Yikes. All right. Let's get to, down to it. I continue to try to get everything straight on the uh, the cheapo Mac Mini. My new to me 2014 Mac Mini is, uh, you know, the podcast machine. Um, when I was preparing the last shows, I had to buy stuff. I had to pay for Descript. Somewhere along the line, something happened to, to my Auphonic account. And I didn't notice this because I wasn't putting out enough shows. It, it seemed like the the amount of minutes I had always seemed low. And uh, I realized somewhere I went to the free account. I don't know why. Now, to my discredit, to uh, this is shameful, but um, at no point in the last six months have I put out so many shows that the free account wasn't enough. Now, that's a problem. <laughs> that I hope to be fixing. Um, I guess I have to reach out to customer service because last on December 7th, I paid for Auphonic. I fixed that. I figured out that I had this problem. I paid for Auphonic. It still says I have a free account. I paid for a year in advance and it still says I have a free account. It's like, oh God, adulting, man. is <laughs> one more thing to go figure out. But like, as I'm trying to get stuff together and so I, I had that problem uh, with the mic overdriving that made me record the show uh, last week, I did some stuff. I didn't kind of like what I did, so I, I'm trying something different. Hopefully, we don't have an overdriven mic with crunchy sound. <sighs> if we do, I'll record this one twice, too. <laughs> I got I got the time. <laughs> we, we went somewhere yesterday, and when we got in the car, um, the podcast I was listening to started playing automatically. Um, 
it generally bugs the child when that happens, but I turn it off as quick as I can. The podcast we were listening to was my own podcast. Now, <laughs> the immediate thing from the kid thought was this was the most egotistical <laughs> asshole thing the child had ever had that I listened to my own show. And I had to point out that this is not, I'm not listening to my own show, you know, for pleasure thinking of all the podcasts out there. This is the best one I can possibly be. There's nothing better than me so much so that I'm just going to listen to myself for sheer fun. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. I'd prefer probably by the time, uh, you know, it shows up in my podcatcher, I've listened to it a couple times. I'm kind of done with it. However, what I need to do is listen to the final show as produced kind of in the context where I would expect listeners to listen. And I just sort of do that normally. Sometimes it's in the car. Sometimes it's on the glasses with my echo frames. So it's just wherever. I just try to do it. I'm not trying to do everything, every show. I'm just trying to listen to it like a normal listener and see if I see things. And in fact, I did. The last show, um, I tr I set something differently on Alphonic. And in fact, um, it was a denoise setting that was too aggressive. It was so aggressive that in the reading of the patrons, it removed the record scratch. In the bloopers at the end of the thing, it removed the tone. It basically, I didn't uh, think this through, but the option was something like, I think it's like remove all noise that's not music or voice. And I told it to do that. And I'm because it did do that. What I didn't think about is I have things that are neither music nor voice that I don't want removed. So uh, perhaps I shan't uh, use, use that setting again. That was that was a mistake. If I had not listened to my own show in the car while I was driving, I wouldn't have noticed that. It wasn't until I got to the very end of the last show that I realized, oh, that's a problem. So I had to explain to the kid that I may be egotistical. I may be kind of full of myself, but that's not why I'm listening to my own show in the car. One of the things, um, as I'm putting things together, uh, I'm kind of relooking. So I had to get out of mothballs, th the Griffin power wave, because I was just having problems with the mic plugged straight in with the crunchiness. I, it turns out that probably wasn't it. So I ended up plugging the XLR cable into the power wave and just kind of getting things going just to try to figure out why my mic was crunchy. I, I have since removed that. It was just sort of a, an emergency. It's like, oh, will this work? Um, but while I was getting old equipment out, I have my Elegato. Or is it Elgato or Elegato? I don't know. Ele, Domo Arigato Elegato. <laughs> um, I have the Stream Deck. So this little thing, I used to use it in Matadad because it was handy to have this little device with preset buttons. So I could stop and start recording, stop and start screaming. I could attach soundboard things. So I hit a button on it and it would play a sound. And so I got this thing out and I connected it to the Mac mini production machine. And before I was using it on Linux and what would expect that when you uh, connect it to a Mac or a windows machine that, uh, you know, there's, it's easier to use, which is true. I think on the Linux, it used some sort of third party thing that would let you put actions and uh, icons on the stream deck. Um, and it's, you know, a first party thing on the Mac. And here's the thing that straight up surprised me. I, I was kind of shocked by this, that you got, you have plugins for various things like OBS has a plugin and it just has built in things, you know, start, stop, start streaming, you know, all the, all the standards. And this is probably what I was using before. Um, you know, and Obsidian has, uh, has a plugin with some preset actions uh, that you can use in that. 
Shockingly, what does not seem to have any kind of official plugin and official actions is audio hijack. That honestly uh, blew my mind because Rogue Amoeba seems like the kind of place, seems like they would build their own thing and give it to Stream Deck. And audio hijack seems like the kind of thing one might want to use Stream Deck with. And so I looked around. There are various uh, hacks (laughs) that you can use. Uh, While I was buying stuff last week, um, I also bought Alfred. I like bought the paid for, I guess, lifetime version of Alfred. I've used it before at work. It's an alternative to Spotlight, um, but lets you do workflow things and some automation things. I was able to use it with Authenticator. There was a thing at work that you had to use a two-factor authentication, and there was a uh, a way that you could use um, Alfred to automatically do that for you, and it made my life so much easier, like so so much easier. Um, so, when I, like when I was looking at automating stuff, I saw maybe Jason Snell of the Incomparable. I think maybe had a post about how he used Stream Deck and Keyboard Maestro uh, to automate audio hijack. And I thought, well, if Keyboard Maestro can do it, probably Alfred can do it. And then I, so I paid for Alfred, you know, lifetime subscription. And then it looks like Alfred doesn't do what I thought it did. And it looks like just a drag. And so it's like, at this point, I don't have any real satisfying audio hijack uh, stuff. I think what I might do, this might be a retirement project, is look and see how does one build a Stream Deck plugin? Like, do they have developer docs so that I could build an official, not an official, but an actual top-level audio hijack plugin that actually does this stuff without hacks. And they have a a marketplace. And I sell it for 99 cents or something like that. You know, something, some nominal fee that actually uh, pays me for it. You know, I could just give the freaking thing away, but you know, why not? Let's see. I could maybe do any of the above. I don't know. I, a, a quick look at the Elgato uh, website did not expose um, the developer documentation, like a how to develop a plugin thing. I don't know if it's a thing. I don't know if you have to pay Elgato. That might be why there's not stuff. Maybe you have to pay them. I don't know. I have not yet explored it, but I, um, I really would like to, um, I want to just have that. This is one of those things where the primary motivation for building the thing would be to have the freaking thing available to me. Everything else that might happen is uh, gravy, but most of all, I want the thing to exist. Ideally, what would even be great is if somebody else built it and I didn't have to. <laughs> like, I would think that would be better uh, than me having to build it, but, you know, I can see about building it. If that's the only way to get this, uh, then we'll do that. Taking a breath. Taking a breath. I'm actually going to take a sip early. Or maybe not early. I'm just going to take a sip. I want to take a sip of coffee. You can't stop me. I'm going to do it. I'm crazy like that. I'll I'll sip coffee at an off time. I'm just, you can't predict me, man. Uh, We've talked about uh, the pencils on the show. I'm going to retract myself. I made a statement about the American Pencil Collector Society. I said that I sent them my money, my membership money, and then I never heard anything until I got that like octogenarian lady who sent me some pencils uh, and a letter. Uh, and I said, and I didn't even realize what my, um, my membership number was and all the stuff because I never got any kind of packet. I said that. I believed that at the time that I said that. However, 
Um, in my retirement, part of what I've done is gone through piles of shit and tried to make piles of shit go away. And in my office, I found a pile of shit. And the bottom of this pile of shit was my welcome packet from the American Pencil Collector Society. They sent me months before all this other stuff happened. So it had, uh, you know, an introduction letter. Um, it had a packet, like, with the history of the society. It had, I think, the last... Uh, like year of the bi-monthly newsletters. I mean, there was a bunch of stuff in there. So I totally mi misspoke and cast aspersions on the fine uh, people of the American Pencil Collector Society. That is absolutely my fault. I will say also the Erasable podcast um, has had something um, screwed up in their feed for a while. Like the feed was broken. It looked to me like an XML problem. So like I, I was getting errors in Podcast Addict for something like six weeks. Shows weren't coming down. Um, there weren't a lot of shows. I think it was we probably any longtime podcaster, you know, like Brent Grant Pachoco used to do the hand crafting of XML. I'm sure he broke his own feed by putting bad characters in there at some point and then had to fix it later. Um, I've put, you know, bad characters in uh, WordPress and had it break the feed and things like that. Um, and I think something like that had happened. Um, it recently got fixed and I started, I got a new um, episode down. And it was like magic. I will say that um, counterintuitively, at least for the first week of retirement, I did way less listening to podcasts than what we'd expect. Because partly when I'm sitting at the office uh, doing the day job all day, I'm mostly, if I'm not in a meeting, I'm mostly listening to podcasts. And I was doing a lot more stuff that made it podcasts less conducive. I don't know long term what the effect will be, but I will say that the first uh, I kind of expected I would be catching up and, uh, it wasn't as, uh, wasn't as ca caught up as I expected. Like starting the week of Thanksgiving, I kind of got behind and I built up a lot of shows that had been downloaded and not listened to. And I've kind of whittled that away a little bit, but I still have a lot of, there's a, like, I'm not talking about my backlog backlog. I'm just talking about recent shows from the last two weeks I haven't listened to or three weeks, I guess. So, uh, getting to those things, but in the erasable world, they always talk about what you're writing with and what you're writing on. And it's a little bit to my, uh, even though I've had this pencil uh, fetishization, I don't know, this interest in pencils, newly uh, refreshed where I've been buying pencil stuff and, you know, buying pencils. And, you know, uh, in the last show, I talked about Chris's uh gift of pencil stuff to me from my retirement very thoughtfully. Um, what I have not done in all this time, you know, the couple of years of this now is I have not had any kind of regular notebooking practice. I don't do any kind of, I do a daily journal or a roughly daily journal, but I do it in obsidian. I don't sit down and write uh, with regularity and just out of the blue. And I've got a stack of notebooks of, you know, various sizes and form factors and shapes. Um, and I took this one, that uh, conference, that legal conference I went to in May in Vegas. Uh, one of the swags and the, you know, goodie bag that they gave you was a notebook. I took that notebook and I just put, created some labels and I said, Life Notebook, December 2023 to, and just started using that. What I do now, this is my kind of, it's a small enough notebook that it fits in a pocket fits easily in the pocket of cargo shorts or cargo pants. So I've started carrying that in a pencil. I stick a, it's a spiral bound notebook. So I stick a pencil down the spiral bound part. And at the beginning of the week, I write my to do's for the week on a two page spread. 
I have been doing that on like three by five cards. And in fact, I can see on my desk old ones. <laughs> I have been, I would take little notes for work and stuff like that and not in anywhere permanent. And I would just, they would just go all over hell and all over creation and with no rhyme or reason. What I'm doing now is with that life notebook. So I do that. That's kind of the, the smaller part of it. I, I learned the hard way that it's better to just leave two whole pages uh, for that. Don't try to fit in in and around stuff because it gets messy. And then if I do a thing, if I make a phone call, I log the phone call. Um, if I have to go somewhere or if there's any bit of information that just needs to be persisted, if something happens, it would be good to know about it in the future. Um, if I, you know, the serial number of something or a phone number, I just write down things that might be of persistent value. Partly so that I can reconstruct stuff. I will say um, one of the little bits of uh, motivation for this. So partly partly it's coming from the pencil world, right? I just want to be one of those pencil people that write stuff down. Partly it's because um, for all that uh, we hear about the digital world, if you have five seconds to capture a little bit of information, pulling out a piece of paper and a pencil is faster to do that then to get out your phone and unlock it, pull up Obsidian, wait for Obsidian to load, you know, that they used to have this iPhone ads. And I think one of the iPhone ads was uh, somebody sitting in the plane and they announce a delay and they pull out the phone and, you know, 10 seconds later, they've changed their um, reservation. I defy anybody to do anything on their phone that fast, <laughs> even though it's, it is convenient ish, which is uh, sure. It's more convenient to do the thing on your phone than like stand in line to do it. But also you pull up the app, then you got to log in. Then you got to do the two-factor authentication. <laughs> you got to pull up Authenticator or wait for the SMS code. You know, half the time, just getting into the damn app takes longer, you know, than you want to deal with. So having the Life Notebook in my pocket is uh, for a certain class of quick ubiquitous capture. Uh, I just like it better. And as opposed to, you know, a long time ago, I used a hipster PDA, the Merlin man thing where you, where you binder clip a stack of three by five cards and, uh, you know, save stuff on that. And that has some value, but what I'm going to do is just use this thing. When I use up this notebook, I'm, I have a stack of notebooks from various conferences, some of them, which are spiral bound. Some of them are kind of hard bound, like a moleskin, uh, I have a Netlify notebook that I was given, I think, at Nash November in Nashville. I just have a bunch of shit like this. I'm not necessarily um, looking for, you know, uniformity on a shelf. I'm going to fill this thing up. I will find some sort of place to keep it, and then I will start the next one. And it will be in the life notebook from whatever, March 2024 to whenever. And all I'm going to do is on the front cover, just mention the time periods that it covers. And so you go through the thing, and it will have, you know, uh, now useless <laughs> to-do lists, which only are relevance for the week you're in it. And then I'll have, you know, a bunch of information, uh, you know, most of which probably has timely relevance, but you never know. I will say that I am in a situation, I, I talked about it in some detail in the Patreon exclusive. I will be very vague, but for the first time in my life, I'm going to, I think, have to file a lawsuit in small claims court to make something happen. Something should have happened automatically. It didn't happen. And uh, the uh, other party in this um, has been unresponsive to my requests for reasonableness. So I believe it's going to take the compulsion of the court to uh, make something happen. 
As part of this, I have to go back and uh, reconstruct kind of the history of contact. And boy, I wish I was keeping this life notebook six months ago. Because now I'm like going through my um, phone and trying to see when did this phone call happen? And it doesn't seem like everything is in there. I know I called them, you know, in, in this two week period, but I can't find the record in my phone. I would have much rather had a nice little handwritten note that said I called them, talked to this person about this. The other thing is, um, you know, dealing with this uh, other thing. I've talked to a number of people, and then I would talk to somebody and say, well, who did you talk to last time? Like, well, shit, I don't know. Uh, I talked to whoever answered the phone. That's who I talked to. So now I've started as part of this. If I have a phone call, um, they say that, you know, at the beginning, they say, this is whoever. I just write down that name. Like, I'm trying to get, I, I still, it's not a habit that I do automatically, but I'm trying to do that every single time. So I know what person I'm talking to. Um, solely as a CYA thing. If I have to go back later uh, and say, this person told me this and it was incorrect, I this way I have a record of who the person was that told me the thing. So now I'm doing this on literally everything. Every I call up the doctor's office. I call up the vet office. I make an appointment. I write down who answered the phone and what we did and what the day of the appointment is. And you know, So I have these things in a persistent way that I can go back to. Some of this may get t- transcribed into the digital world, but that's not the. It's not where it starts, right? I've I've struggled with the, with some form of you know tactile capture like this, uh, interacting with the digital world. One of those attempts to try to deal with that was the rocket notebook. I still like these things, you know the the, and I always uh, or a rocket book, and I always laugh because the possibly the very first. Um, dedicated e-reader device that we were using. We had one of these in the office in 1999 at the little ebook company that I was using. <laughs> and it was a rocket book. But the rocket book nowadays, I think they probably bought the trademark, is uh, a reusable notebook. And you can write on it. If you use a, um, what company is it? It's Friction, but I forget which company makes the Friction, F-R-I-X-I-O-N. And this is a, an erasable ink. So you write in this vinyl-y pages and you can, it has an app that will let you digitize it. And it has multiple ways that you can save it. You can uh, send it to email, you can put it in Dropbox, you can send it to OneNote, you can send it to Evernote. And for a while, and I was doing that for work for some time, right? I would take notes uh, on this thing and then digitized the ones that needed to be saved and it worked okay. But you know, now I'm just trying this. I'm, I'm actually going lower tech. The vast majority of the things that I will write in this life notebook don't need to be digitized. They don't, you know, if I'm making an appointment, I will put that in the calendar, but that's kind of the extent of it. <sighs> Effectively what happens is you know, you send that to Evernote where it becomes a write-only database. You put it in Evernote, you'll never really look at it again, but it's there. And that's kind of how you fill your Evernote with cruft, <laughs> you know? Um, I will say, uh, so after year, you know, years of Evernote, I've, it's no longer in my life. I'm not paying them. I'm not really using it. Obsidian was my replacement for Evernote. Um, I also replaced Gmail with ProtonMail. And, uh, you know, I, I have been enjoying that. And now I'm into the Proton world, all the stuff, the Proton VPN, the Proton Pass, the Proton Mail. 
it occurred to me, I didn't even think about this, but I, but one of the things you can do when you create a new login in ProtonPass is it gives you the option to hide your email address. So instead of giving them, you know, my actual email address, it creates a temporary one that's, you know, some sort of Proton Mail, uh, you know, interceptor that forwards it to me. I, this, this ain't my first rodeo. This ain't my first uh, touch of the digital uh, lifestyle. Never occurred to me what a lock-in to Proton Mail and Proton Pass that is. Because if I ever stop using Proton Pass, all my accounts on all those things um, stop working. <laughs> so they sort of uh, have the like every time I do one of those, every time I hide my email address with that, uh, if I want that email to keep working, I mean I don't generally do it if I care deeply about it. It's mostly I do it for things like, you know, the things that I would use, uh, you know, the your mother is a whore.biz email address, you know, when the mall makes you register an account to get Wi-Fi. So, you know, shit that you don't care. They're going to send you email, but you don't care about it. You're just going to send it to spam anyway. Uh, that's kind of the stuff that I did, but also I've created some accounts for things I don't care that much about. And I kind of don't want to get email from, but if I needed to reset my password and I, I get rid of proton mail, I ain't going to get it. <laughs> so I don't know. I might have to rethink this. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how locked in I want to get. I may have already I may have already done too much. So we'll see. <laughs> I guess one of the th it's good that I caught it. You know how long have I been doing this stuff? Less than eight months. Like usually when I think about this is you know ten years in, <laughs> or or the day I think about getting rid of it. You know. So at least, uh, at least I realized a problem and I can uh, think about it and ameliorate it over the time. Now I am actually going to take that uh, prototypical, you know, middle of the show. Mm. Thank you, Ember Mug. That's drinkably warm. Thank you, Ember Mug. I'm going to talk about uh, a couple shows I've unsubscribed from and some that I, uh, some stuff I'm actually consuming that I'm really enjoying. So we'll start with, <laughs> we'll start with the downer. Um, I have unsubscribed from Cortex and I subscribed to it possibly in the pandemic. Um, Cortex is a joint show between uh, Mike Hurley of the Relay FM network and CPG Gray, who's a YouTuber. That was, uh, to these two guys, kind of what Matt it does was to be in Butler, right? It, it's kind of the super group show. I didn't give a shit about either of these guys individually. So I'm not being brought in there because I'm a, a previous fan of their other stuff. And I listened to all of the backlog. I've been caught up. And th this show is infrequent, right? It's, uh, you know, somewhere between once every three to six weeks. Um, it's So it's not, you know... It's never been like a routine, you know, weekly or twice weekly show. It's just when they get around to doing it. And that if you listen to the show, Gray likes it. He likes not having the schedule for anything, including his YouTube videos. Like all the douchebaggery tells you uh, if you want to be a success, you have to create a schedule and stick to it. And he he's always said, uh, if I have to do that, I'm not doing it. <laughs> what I'm going to do is find, be the best success I can without a schedule. And I listened to it and I got something out of it. And I, at one point I bought the Cortex, the yearly theme Cortex notebook, which I have around here somewhere. And, you know, I 
tried doing their yearly theme, the year of whatever stuff. And I kind of tried to get into the whole thing. At some point, I got so tired of listening to these guys, particularly CPG Gray, just bitch about the ins and outs, like in minute detail of how programs don't do exactly what he wants. And for one thing, one like strikes one and two are they're extremely iOS focused. And I could not care less about iOS. I have never once owned an iOS device in my life. I've never had an iPhone. I've never had an iPod touch. I've never had an iPod that had a screen on it. I had one of the little gum stick ones. That's the only iPod I ever owned. I've never uh, had an iPad. And so all this stuff about how a thing is syncs between your iPod and your iPad and your Mac and your iPhone and your whatever. I don't care about any of that. And that is a lot of the show down to the point where they have one entire show, their state of the app show. Like every year they have an entire show and one show a year is like, I don't know, 10% of their output. And that's all about the apps that they use all of which are iOS and which mostly don't have an Android equivalent. And I don't care about any of this. And I just got so tired of basically gray and the like smugness of this cat. Like that's one of the things that really gets me is smugness. <laughs> I don't know. I really uh, uh, talk out of both sides of my mouth on this, which is I don't like people who are, who completely lack self-confidence and I don't like people who are super smug. And I, I, I guess I'm setting people up for this impossible uh, needle to thread, but I kind of don't like either end of that. And I just, at some point I never unsubscribe uh, from a show or I, let's not say never, but I seldom unsubscribe from a first strike. I kind of put them on in probation. I think, boy, this is not doing it for me. The ne- you know, usually at some point I say, the next time I hear this, I'm just done with this show. And I always hear, there's always a next time. That's how I've unsubscribed from almost every show I've ever unsubscribed from. Or uh, tell them Steve Dave. I said, the next time they talk about how entitled youth are, I'm unsubscribing. And I, I unsubscribed the next show. Right? That was, that's just, <laughs> it was like a nervous tick. They couldn't not do that. So I got rid of Cortex. And to be honest, I haven't really missed it. Um, I unsubscribed from two different shows um, that Tig Notaro uh, hosts for slightly different reasons. Um, the I was listening to Tig and Cheryl, True Story, where the two of them would watch documentary films or series, and then they would talk about it on the show. And that one was kind of a homework show. I had two classes of documentaries, like the ones that I was never going to watch. And then I would just listen to those episodes. But if I cared at all about the documentary, I would not listen to the episode And then I would watch the show and I, you know, I watched some of them. I watched the death, the band called death, which was a great documentary. That was, I think their very first episode, but the homework part of it became kind of a drag. And then Cheryl Hines is married to Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. Bobby Kennedy, Jr. Who is a fucking crank (laughs) and who I don't give a shit about. And it actually, like with him, this whole thing about him like running in the primary, I'm like, oh, fuck. It's just n- noise that we don't need uh, in the system. And I realized I don't want to hear Cheryl Hines talk about him. And she always does. <laughs> and it's like, I was just like, this show is just, I, I'm just cutting this one. Well, on the almost on the other end of the spectrum, the Don't Ask Tig, which is the Tig Notaro advice show where she'd get a guest and they'd talk a little and they'd answer, you know, listener questions in it, her, that show almost 
not almost every, every single episode, at some point that would come up how wonderful her life is, how much she loves her wife, how great her kids are, how great their household is, how wonderful everything is to do, how great their cats are. And at some point I thought, boy, I feel like I'm just being, I feel like I'm having my nose rubbed in this. <laughs> we never fight and the kids never, you know, act up and the, you know, and boy, our life is just, and at some point I thought, well, my, you know, my, my life is not idyllic on any of those fronts. I argue with my child. I argue with my wife. Sometimes we get mad. Sometimes doors are slammed in this house. Sometimes our dogs bite other dogs. And it's like, fuck, I don't, I, I just feel like, it's like, I don't want to hear uh, how wonderful uh, and without problem her own life is. And, and so again, same thing. I said, next time I hear this, uh, I'm just unsubscribing. And of course, I heard it again and probably the next episode after I said that. So I unsubscribed from that, you know, a long time ago, I liked the TIG uh, show. She was a member of professor Blastoff. It was her Kyle Dunnigan and David Huntsberger. And I liked the interplay of those three, but I also, and also I'll be honest, when you listen to a TIG Notaro show um, for a long time, I kind of get tired of the TIG thing. I like TIG Notaro. I think she's funny. I think her, that, um, that comedy set that uh, was released on Louis C.K.'s label, um, its own problem there, <laughs> since she was sexually harassed by Louis C.K. probably in and around that. But, you know, where she had just had her breast cancer diagnosis and then she went on stage and did a uh, set about it, like one of the rawer things you'll ever hear in your life. Um, I, I mean, I thought that was brilliant, but... Like listening to her and she does the same kind of like deadpan jokes every time. And, I, you know, over time, it just wore at me. Now, honestly, I've just talked about three different shows I unsubscribed from. Like pretty much everything I said about them, you probably could get out of me too. <laughs> Which is why um, in, you know, uh, in and around the retirement um, posts and I got a really good suggestion from the Evil Genius Chronicles Discord, which was that since I got all the traction on LinkedIn about telling them that I'm retiring, why don't I post um, links to the show to LinkedIn? Because it appears like I got a lot of people uh, that pay attention to me over there. I'm like, boy, that's a good idea. Back when I used the social network auto poster from uh, WordPress, LinkedIn was one of the things every show would automatically get posted there. But when that plugin just kind of took a dive and stopped being effective and stopped working on a lot of stuff, then I, I stopped using it. When that happened, I never manually posted to LinkedIn, but I started doing that. It was a, Bruce Lerner had that suggestion. It was a great suggestion. But one of the things that's happened because of the kind of the traction that Post got is I had multiple people, more than one person said this. Oh, hey, I used to listen to your show. I used to love your show. I used to love your show. Well, I can, you know, I can do that math. <laughs> I, I know what that means. I never, ever take that hard. Right? I understand. I have come and go on literally thousands of shows. There are thousands of shows that I have been subscribed to at some point in the last 19 years to which I am no longer subscribed. Does not hurt my feelings. I know. It's same thing with the Patreon. People come, people go. If I'm worried about them going, then that presents a barrier to them coming. I don't, it's fine. You, everyone do what you have to. Honestly, I'm about to unsubscribe from from some patrons, from, from things I am a patron of. Partly because, um, you know, I no longer, I'm now on a fixed income. And, uh, 
it would be nice um, if if I was not spending more <laughs> out if if I was making more coming in on Patreon. <laughs> Effectively, all the Patreon money I ever get and it goes back to other people because it pretty much is very close to break even uh, on that. So all that's keeping me from doing is going into my pocket. So things that I'm kind of on the bubble on, I'm going to either lower my pledge, possibly to zero, <laughs> some of which is uh, socially awkward. What do I do? Do I unsubscribe from Mer Lafferty? I mean, Mer's been my friend for a long time. I don't imagine Mer's going to take it hard if I leave, but boy, it's awkward. You know, it's awkward when you're, you know, to unsubscribe from your personal friends. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just weird, but you know, when people also, I've never taken it hard when somebody does that to me, people who are personal friends of mine have also unsubscribed from my Patreon and I, I don't take it hard. So maybe I'm not giving people enough credit, but, uh, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. People never mean it as a backhand compliment. They always mean it as a positive when they say, I used to listen to your show, which I guess having ever listened to my show is better than having never heard of me. Um, so, you know, what, you know, w w what do I have to complain about? Um, I will mention, uh, I sure I have talked about, uh, listening to Lou Barlow. I will say one thing he does on his raw impression show that he does with his wife, which I'm not sure if I've ever heard another podcaster do this. Um, Lou being a, a musician, he has, you know, audio home recording stuff. And so he does things differently. I think he also... Uh, gets a little hamstrung. People who are audio professionals, uh, often musicians or say filmmakers, they often do too much. They do more than they have to. You know, they edit their show in Logic Pro, and you know, it's like you don't. You, it's probably more than you need to do. Um, but one of the things he does is he he for some shows creates a backing track where he does a, a pitch shifted voice that they call four track man, and he records this guy and then. Essentially, that's like the timekeeper. So at some point, you know, he'll leave like three minutes of silence and then he'll say, okay, now moving on, we're going to play the song. And they, when they start recording the show, they start playing that track. And then that track is, you know, effectively they're bouncing off that track. And when the track says, okay, show is over, they're like, they just stop what they're doing. It's a really interesting way to do a show. It's I'm honestly trying to remember if I've ever heard anybody do that. And like I said, I've listened to, I've sampled thousands of shows. I don't remember that. If you know of somebody that does a similar thing now or anytime in the past, let me know. Dave at evilgeniuschronicles.org. I'm I'm curious if he it surely seems impossible that he has invented this technique, you know, 18 years into the medium. But um, I just don't know of a, another instance of somebody doing that. Um, to close out here, I'm going to talk about a couple things that I have really been enjoying. So Bosch Legacy came back. I will say the second season of this Bosch Legacy. So the first one I thought was great. The second one less great. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was probably better than the worst seasons of the uh, regular Bosch series. I think much like I say, you know, when the Punisher goes to space, I lose interest because to me, he's a sh shooting organized crime in New York City. That's his milieu. And when you put him somewhere weird, I just don't care that much. And like Bosch being the homicide cop, you know, doing stuff or being the private eye doing stuff. I, I like that. The season where he was undercover in the drug camp, boy, I did. It was just 
not, that one did not do it for me, partly because it didn't have a lot of the stuff I liked out of the, you know, there is a certain comfort to the formula and it, it didn't have the formula. So I didn't love the second Bosch Legacy. I liked it, not didn't love it. But, you know, because we watch Bosch, we keep getting suggested this Lincoln Lawyer show. Um, and I know that there was a uh, McConaughey movie, I don't know, 10 years ago, where he played that character. But there's two seasons on Netflix uh, of this Mickey Holler, this guy who um, is a lawyer, the Lincoln lawyer. We thought it had something to do with Abraham Lincoln, but it, he drives only Lincolns <laughs> for cars and he likes to work out of his car. And so that's the whole premise. And we are one episode from finishing the second uh, season of this thing. And I'm quite enjoying it. Again, I like it a lot. I wouldn't say I love this show. And there was one thing in it, like David E. Kelly is one of the executive producers on this. And I'm not sure if this is a David E. Kelly-ism. But they have these various things. In season one, they they had this framing device where he, his driver and him went on a long drive in the desert for him to clear his head. And he was discussing strategy of the of the case. And then they would flash back to this thing. He would be going to do a thing in court. And then it would flash back to him telling the driver, here's what you got to do in this situation. You got to put him on the ropes and blah, 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 blah. And I didn't really like that flashback in this season. Um, they've got Elliot Gould is, I guess it's better than a cameo, but he's, he's a, like a side character playing the, present day version of Mickey Holler's father's law partner. So he's, you know, a friend of the family and he's a trusted advisor. And so at multiple points of the season, uh, he has gone to him for advice. And then they flash back to him giving the advice when it comes up as relevant in court. And I don't, I just don't like that as a stylistic choice. It kind of bugs me. Every time they cut to the flashback, it kind of bugs me. I will say that uh, I'm not sure if he, I have to go back and look at some young Elliot Gould stuff like MASH or something like that to see if his voice strikes me the same way. But Elliot, like Elliot Gould in this, every time he talks now, bearing in mind, he's got the kind of that 88 man in his eighties, old man voice. Um, but he sounds like Roger Yale to me, <laughs> my friend, Roger Yale. If you ever listen to the Yale brothers podcast? He, he talks like Roger Yale. He has kind of the same, they both have that kind of California accent and the same kind of pitch and timber of their voice. So I think, you know, other than the fact that he's, you know, 30 years older than Roger, he uh, sounds to, <laughs> like, like this really does sound kind of like Roger. And uh, like I said, I have to go listen to some older Elliot Gould stuff, like when he was in, you know, The Long Goodbye or something. Did he sound like that back then? You know, there was a point in time where Elliot Gould was the biggest uh, movie star in the world, you know, uh, probably was superseded by Burt Reynolds. <laughs> people who, young people don't know who either of these jokers are, but they were the biggest in the world at some point. And then the last thing is, uh, I've been talking for years about my Danger Man project. We're actually getting close to the end. Uh, I have eight more, eight or ten more episodes of the main Danger Man series. I'm going to finish this thing up. Then I'm going to rewatch The Prisoner. And I've even found a, uh, a documentary I didn't know about until very recently called, I think, In My Mind. And it involved um, interviews with Patrick McGowan um, before he died, talking about The Prisoner. And he was uh, notoriously like hard to interview, um, reticent to talk about himself. And if you even got him in that situation, he was kind of, I think, antagonistic when you tried to talk to him. And so there is something about the structure that I didn't like. 
Like when I watched The Witch, the We Intend to Goddess Havoc, I played them on this show. I watched the documentary about them. And boy, have I come to hate the framing device of the documentarian making the documentary. I don't want to see the documentarian anymore. I don't want to see Morgan Spurlock's fucking face in anything. I don't want to see uh, Nick Broomfield's face in anything. I don't want them to be an active participant in the act of making the documentary. And which was entirely about, you know, I started out with these, you know, European dudes uh, trying to find, uh, you know, the, the lead singer of which I was like, oh God, I hate that structure. I'm so tired of it. I don't care about you. I care about the band. I don't care about you, the documentarian at all. So this, I watched, you know, maybe the first five minutes of this Magoo documentary and it has that structure. So it's got that as, you know, a strike against it. Hopefully it's good. So what I'm going to do is finish up danger man, rewatch the prisoner, rewatch that documentary. And then after that might rewatch that, you know, widely panned um, prisoner miniseries from a few years ago. Uh, Jim Cavazil, I think was number six. I'll probably reread all the uh, comic book stuff. And then I can kind of put a pin in the whole prisoner rewatch. But I do like, um, you know, watching the changes across the season, you know, season one was a 22, 24 minute show. So there's not a lot of characterization. It was more like a proceed. It was a spy procedural Um, without, like really, it was not, not like James Bond gadget procedurals. Some of them were pretty low tech. And even in like the later ones, there's some pretty low tech stuff. Um, there was like a listening device that he put, there was an umbrella. <laughs> that he unscrewed parts of the umbrella and it had some sort of spring loaded gun that would shoot this dart that had a listening device on it. And I like things like that. He had a pipe that had a, a similar thing, a tracker that if he unscrewed the pipe, he could use it like a blowgun. <laughs> And I like that, you know, there's a, uh, he has this um, electric shaver. And if you pop off the thing, in fact, it's not even an electric shaver. It's got a little tiny reel to reel under those circular heads that he uses to record and playback messages and pass them to other people. I like that stuff. Um, but I do also like how Cold War paranoia it gets as it goes along. And one of the, like in the middle of season three, there's this exchange that I just loved. And he's talking to this woman and she was surprised that she had a spy in her midst. And she says, I can't believe we have espionage here of all places. And Patrick McGowan says, espionage is a virus. It can appear anywhere. And she says, and you, he says, I am part of the disease. (laughs) I love that so much. I'm like, all right, this is, this is some good shit. So then anyway, I'm enjoying my danger man. My danger man watch. I expect to highly enjoy my prisoner rewatch. Like I say, uh, I have watched the entire series Probably the entire series. I was watching it over the air at PBS, so I may have even missed some episodes. But that was 40 years ago. I was a teenager at the time watching it on the Kansas uh, PBS station. So uh, who knows? Uh, But I'm looking forward to uh, finishing out this project. It has at this point been, I think, three years in the making. It was in the pandemic when I started the project, early in the pandemic. Back when we said, oh, we'll have all this time. Let's do this. And of course... Uh, you know, the fraction of those pandemic projects that actually happened probably for everyone. I think my, my hit rate is probably lower than the average, but anyway, there you go. We've almost done a show, but before we get out of here, I've got to do this. And now it's time for something we call the reading of the patrons. 
the following people went to bit.ly, bit.ly slash EGC Patreon, and they pledged to support to keep the shambling mess shambling. Thank you to the following people. Derek Coward, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, R. Hooley, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Grant Bachoco, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Paul Reynolds, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Robert Gibson, Len Edgerly, Melissa A. Bartell, Andrew Howe, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Dyko, Brian Springer, Rob Usden, John Gehring, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, Jeff Dangle, J.P. Shippard, Steve Holden, Brian Hogan, and Matt Beckwith. Thank you, one and all, for supporting The Shambling Mess. And now, let us kill the music. All right, you should have heard the needle scratch. If not, I've screwed up the alphonic again. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that's in there. And hopefully I will hear it when I re-listen to the show, not because I'm completely full of myself. Thank you for listening. As always, you can reach out to the show notes at evilgeniuschronicles.org. Should have links to anything I can find links for. Um, reach out to me, Dave, at evilgeniuschronicles.org. Or you can Mastodon or any Fediverse client this show at Dave at EvilGeniusChronicles.org. I appreciate spending any time uh, in your ear holes uh, that I get. And if you used to listen to me uh, and you don't now and you don't hear this, uh, I still appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, as you go out in this world, please don't forget that I love you. Goodbye. Every step of fucking adventure.